Welcome back to Just One Question, and lately it's become Just One Question and another one and another one, so we'll see what happens today. I am really excited today to have Dr. Allison Coffin on Just One Question because she's a, a an associate professor of neuroscience at Washington State University, Vancouver, and I am, as all of you who have watched these shows over the years, um, no, completely fascinated with neuroscience, um, and so this is a uh, this is happy talk and, and uh, Busman's holiday for me. Uh, so, uh, Allison, Dr. Coffin's research focuses on cellular mechanisms of hearing loss, and all I can say is what, what, which is probably a dumb joke she's heard many times. She's author, also the co-author and president of Science Talk the Professional Association for Science Communicators, and we're going to get into that in a second. Her passions include mentoring the next generation of scientists and communicators, God bless, uh, motorcycling, very cool, and reading, uh, reading fantasy novels, which is an interest we share in common, uh, which we haven't had a chance to talk about, so if we can't talk about uh, science talk, maybe we'll get into uh, the next Tolkien uh, TV show that's coming up, which everybody who cares about Tolkien is both curious and worried about, but, um, and also music. She's also into music. So welcome, Dr. Coffin, Allison, if I may call you that, and uh, how are you doing? Thanks, Nick. Great to be here. Doing pretty well, I think as well as possible after the last couple of years, as we were just talking about before we went live, excited to be more in person, seeing people face to face, and really looking forward to the 2022 Science Talk Conference in a few weeks, which is hybrid, and most people have opted for in-person attendance. So I think I'm not the only one excited about, as we were saying, seeing people in three dimensions again. Yeah, it's uh, it's something we humans have a deep need for. We've been going along with the substitute for quite a while, but uh, it's great to uh, it's great to get back to three dimensional people. Uh, where our brains are much, much happier. Uh, so um, what are you excited about these days? Um, and if it is science talk, tell us what that is as you launch into this, because I'm really curious to know more about what science talk is. Thanks, Nick. I'm always excited about science talk as one of the co-founders and the president, if I wasn't excited about it, especially because it's an all-volunteer organization we wouldn't still be going. We wouldn't be going without the excitement of all of our volunteers. And Science Talk is an association for science communication professionals, the association. Really, we were created because as we've seen in the last few years in particular, science matters in society. Many of us knew that before. We all have our own science stories, whether that is homebrewing beer and thinking about the yeast that goes into homebrew or cancer treatment for ourselves or a loved one. We all have our own science story, but the last few years, we've been living a collective science story mm. and to agree science nightmare. And that's really shown us, I think, how much communication of science and accurate, but really authentic and engaged and personal communication of science matters. That's why we created Science Talk back in 2016, our first conference was in 2017, mm. but we're seeing a lot more enthusiasm or interest in recognition of science communication in the last few years. 
What I'm particularly excited about for science communication more broadly is this return to face-to-face interactions. As I think we've really seen in the last few years, and as science communication research has shown us for decades, giving people facts doesn't do very much. I don't remember who said this, but there's a quote that says, we are not thinking beings who feel, we are feeling beings who think. Even those of us that are scientists that think, no, really, we're rational, it's in our heads. Most of us are still acting emotionally, reacting emotionally to situations. And facts don't stir up those emotions. If anything, facts we don't agree with create negative emotions and we tend to run away or ignore them. So I'm excited about the return to in-person because not just at the conference, but just in our everyday interactions, because I think the best way to communicate science is by forming personal connections and personal relationships. It's not about here's the data. It's about a conversation with a friend or a family member or the stranger sitting next to us at the bar. I've had great conversations while waiting for a restaurant table that lead to questions, that lead to interactions, Mm. that maybe can lead to some insight when somebody realizes, oh, I've got a scientist sitting next to me. Maybe I'll ask him this question I've been thinking about because I've established a relationship. There's a level of trust. And that's what particularly excites me about science communication moving forward. That sounds very cool. And I would like to think that when we get back to face to face, that the conversation will get easier. Um, I am wondering though, given the, the uh, bloodied but unbowed experience of the last couple of years in terms of science, in terms of science uh, explanations and science arguments, um, what are the stories that we need to tell that will engage people and that will help get the idea of science across? Um, how do we, how do we um, bring to life those, uh, the, the, the facts that you talked about, the, 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 mere, the mere data of, uh, of science in ways that do engage people? Is there a secret sauce? Is it one at a time? Each one has to, you have to come up with a story for it. Do you have a way of thinking about it that helps? Um, how do you get this conversation going? Great question. I don't think there's a single secret sauce because, again, a lot of it really relies on connection. So thinking about my own research, I study hearing loss, as you said. That's not a controversial scientific topic. Not yet. (laughs) Most of us know somebody with hearing loss. In fact, most of us over 30 have some degree of hearing loss, even if we're not aware of it. And It's a great way to talk with people. If I'm out at a music venue or a club, I take my earplugs out to order a drink and the bartender notes, oh, you're wearing earplugs. So then we have a short and fairly shouted over the music conversation about hearing and the importance of protecting our hearing. And it's in a way that matters to them because they're in that environment all the time. It might be a two minute interaction But if I go back to that club a few months later, that bartender is usually wearing earplugs. And they often remember that conversation. 
So I know that's a lot of work for communicators because those are those one of interactions. And I think that's not the only way to reach people. But when we can talk about the science that we do or the science that we know people who do that science, and when we're not talking about just the really controversial scientific topics, but topics that have a lot less controversy, again, say brewing beer or winemaking or growing the latest variety of apple here at Washington State University, where we also have a great winemaking program, mm. those all involve science. And most people aren't going to be turned off about the idea of let's talk about how we can use science to brew better beer, or make better coffee or chocolate or something like mm -hmm. that. So, again, making those personal connections talking about science and the process of science when we're not talking about controversial, politicized scientific topics. And then when there are controversial political scientific topics to discuss, hopefully we've started to lay the foundation for some of that trust. I think the other thing, and this gets back to just communication in general is listening and asking questions. Mm -hmm. A lot of times when there's pushback about scientific topics as scientists and communicators our first response is often to say well here's the facts here's the data rather than saying well why do you say that or why do you feel that way or where did you get your information i'm not familiar with it so rather than accusatory tone saying no you're wrong you know i hadn't heard that fact before could you tell me a bit more about your source and sometimes we learn something and often we can again engage a conversation about thinking about sources. There's so many sources online, people can get stuck in their own echo chambers, finding just the information that works for them. If we can start talking to people outside of those echo chambers and ask questions and engage, which I know is really hard these days, I think we can go a long way towards communicating science because again, it's about connecting with people. Yeah, I love that. It's it seems to be absolutely the right way to go, and it it does suggest that a lot of patience, a lot of listening is needed in order to have these conversations. They feel very one on one. They're not one to many. It's not easy to do the one to many ones, uh, as we've learned. Uh, I can't resist asking one more question, if that's okay. That's fine. Uh, thanks. Just three uh, questions. Yeah, just three questions. The the uh, the rule of threes. You know, yeah. it feels complete. It's good. Uh, we could talk about the neuroscience of that if you want to later on. But um, yeah, my question is, as a cub reporter years ago, I was uh, uh, allowed, I was sent off to interview a gentleman who was a physics professor at Princeton who had just won the Nobel Prize. And there are a lot of those at Princeton. And the, and I, I said, now, you know, don't pull any punches. Tell me, I want to get this right. I was young and enthusiastic. Tell me exactly what you won this this Nobel Prize for. And he launched into this elaborate explanation, and I took furious notes and wrote it up and then sent it to him and said, can you review this for accuracy? And he sent back a note saying, it's fine. And I wasn't quite satisfied with that answer. I said, so I called him up again, and I said, do you have a few more minutes to spare? And he said, sure. He was a very nice guy. And, and I sat with him for a while and, and, and said, come on now, I couldn't have possibly got it all right the first time. You know, it's, you're, surely you're just blowing me off here. It wasn't fine. And he thought about it and he laughed and he said, well, actually, every single word in there was not only wrong, but irrelevant. 
but it's so hard to describe what I'm saying in English without the use of mathematics that I sort of figured there was no point. It's not terribly wrong. It's just kind of a rough approximation, a sort of shouting over the wall of the information. And, and I wasn't satisfied with that. I was young and idealistic. So I said, no, 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 you know, spend hours with me and get this right. And so the poor guy, I subjected him to a thousand more questions. I rewrote it. And he had to admit when I was done that it was as close as he could get in English. And it was reasonably accurate. But it wasn't mathematics. And so I'm wondering if there's some topics that are so difficult, so um, uh, com complicated and, and so difficult to explain in English or in, in your native language um, that math is the only way to do it. How do we translate those kind of understandings and, and questions and answers to uh, the average person who doesn't have that kind of mathematical background as I didn't? I don't think the answer there is to translate the details of the math, for example. Mm -hmm. I think it's to tell the story of the mathematician or the other person, because again, stories resonate with people. So focusing less on the complicated math or the really complicated science or engineering and more on the person, how they got interested in that topic, an aha moment where they went, oh, I just solved this equation I've been staring at for four years. It was this variable and a bit about why it matters, why it matters to them and why it might matter to somebody else. Even if it's fundamental math, maybe someday it can help us modeling expansion of the universe. I'm just making that up, but yeah, thinking sure. about these sort of broad connections between topics, but again, keeping the person at the heart of the story. When I teach science writing, both to students here in my neuroscience program here at Washington State University, Vancouver, and also in my research lab, I always insist that they write in first person, even for technical articles, because science is done by people. When we write in third person, passive past tense, this was done, that was done, mm -hmm. we're removing the people from the equation. And I think maybe with that Nobel Prize winner from Princeton, it was the person behind the equation that really mattered. Yeah, that's certainly true. And had I been wise enough to know that at my, my young age and inexperience, I think it would have been a better interview. Um, I did try very hard to get the science right, but, um, but as you say, it's ultimately, I think it's untranslatable. Um, yeah, I love that. I love that answer. We do, we do have to keep the people in the, in the story. This is, after all, a, a human endeavor, science, uh, like every other human endeavor in that sense. So without it, we're lost. Um, without the human story, we're lost. Um, Dr. Allison Coffin, everybody, thank you so much for appearing on Just One Question and patiently answering my several questions. Um, it's great to meet you and to understand a little bit better about science talk. Thank you. Thank you. I hope to see you at Science Talk at some point. I'm just going to throw this out there. Our next conference is March 24th and 25th in Portland and virtual offered everywhere. I hope to see many of your listeners there. Thank you.